on W Back to the Do Not Listen to This Podcast, the last couple of episodes that will be named the Do Not Listen to This Podcast. That is going to come out much later, most likely. But we are, for this week, going to be similarly going just over a quick little episode this week. Not going to be you know a really long feature article. I bore you guys too much of those already. It's going to be something where a lot of things just kind of click at the same time. And I think that I've been wanting to do something like this for a while. And this is going to be, I would say, something where... I just kind of talk about something that I have wanted to theorize on for a little bit. So this post about activism, I've done posts about activism before, but for my love of short lists and my love of talking about things that I believe need more sanity to the conversation, this being one of them, I think we are going to have a ball today with kind of discussing this very, very important, but very, very, I would say convoluted type of issue. So don't want to bore your guys, bore you guys to tears rather with kind of getting all this stuff really kind of tapered out. So let's just get right into it. So, and by the way, I did not time this up, this post up with the Jabal Bowman fire alarm poll per se, but serendipity is a wonderful thing. So to begin, I slowly begin to think perhaps dimly that our culture is working its way out of the insanity that's in, that it's enshrined itself in for the last couple of years. I slowly believe that we are becoming more rational, that we're seeing the fools and miscreants that run our world as just those things. And this is a massively positive development because if you did not understand at this point, we do not have time for many more fools and miscreants. But there's still an equally disturbing phenomenon that I've begun to notice as well. Even though, at least to me, it seems like many people are slowly pulling back from the veneer of insanity, the people that are still clinging to said insanity, whether it is leftward or rightward, are clinging on tighter and tighter. They don't want to let go. They don't want to see that their dreams do not shatter, that their way of perceiving, or they want to see that their dreams do not shatter, rather, that their way of perceiving the world around them stays intact whatsoever. This trend has caused these people, while decreasing in number, to increase in their hysteria. This is perhaps a worse problem than we had before. The mob may be smaller, but its intensity is higher. People weren't supergluing themselves to Picassos during the summer of 2020, for instance. This is something new, a variant of the mind virus that has poisoned the waters of our culture and made us borderline afraid of the people that are enacting what is going on. I believe one of the biggest errors on behalf of the people who want to enact social change in our culture, whether those changes be good or bad, radical or moderate, is that we have not had a formal set of rules to govern these people. Things such as racial inequality and the warming of the polar ice caps seem, at least to me, like issues we should be attending to. However, throwing a brick through a bakery and demanding that ExxonMobil bend to the knee of a 17-year-old Swedish girl as a solution seem like very unfair and very unproductive ways to go about accomplishing those goals. And therefore, it is my assumption that, should activism be done, there be rules that constrain said activism, that it actually moves things forward towards speaking truth to power, holding those responsible to account, and seeing that the goals people claim to set out to do actually become achieved. This will both advance those goals themselves and root out the grifters, liars, and the power mongers that have polluted this space for their own personal gain. This, if taken seriously, is a two-for-one that we can hardly afford to lose out on. Everything that is worth having in a civilized society requires rules that constrain that thing from boiling over on itself. 
We saw this with runaway crony capitalism that led to the housing bubble. We see this with, the hunting, with hunting wild game in the forests of Oregon to keep the natural life cycle intact. We see this with the university admissions only letting the best and brightest, although that proposition is becoming ever more dubious, inside of it. Without standards, without morals, without rules, an organization is only one bad wave away from complete and total collapse and implosion. However, activism, particularly in its current context, is not a numbers game. It is a game of emotions, of feelings, of words. This makes it much harder to constrain and much easier to misconstrue, to take out of context. This is what has allowed a once noble thing, being active on behalf of a cause, to devolve into a cult. It is what has turned many bright and sane people into deranged lunatics. They have sacrificed their humanity for the false appeal and idol of something that can come nowhere close to representing either. What I found when compiling this list is that the checklist that comes to social activism largely coincides with the things that make you happy and fulfilled. My post on happiness, one of my favorites that I've done, had nothing largely to do with the self. This is because, contrary to what we've been, been conditioned to, you don't contribute all that much to your own happiness. The success of your own life has much more to do with you appeasing other people than it does with appeasing yourself. This is essential, indeed definitional, to what happens with activism. More and more, what we are seeing that activism is far more we are seeing that activism is far more about the activists than about the cause they fraudulently came, claim to support. And this is a sad showing of events, one that has made a mockery of causes that deserve careful attention, examination, and time to dissect. The narcissism that has captivated seemingly most people that go these routes has taken over everything by force. If the truly righteous activism that is needed for a healthy society is to survive, then the narcissism that burdens it must be snuffed out. Many times throughout my time as a writer, my parents have expressed concern that I will eventually lose my mind with all the things that I end up talking about. I usually end up laughing at them because I believe that they're right. I don't know why I haven't at this point, honestly. Given all the bizarre shit I've written about in the past four years of madness, I probably should have had my mind melted at least 20 more times than I probably already have. But yet my mind has not melted once. I have stayed remarkably sane, and I believe that I've gotten more so over my time covering most of the, some of the most insane things that have happened in the history of the world. It's something that I never expected to happen, the living testament of the Dunning-Kruger effect in action. I've always wondered why it is that I've been so lucky while so many other people have not been. I'm now becoming more and more assured that, in both this domain and the others in my life, that the way I am, for, that I am the way I am, for better or for worse, because of the rules that I place around myself. I have to have a life constraint, or am I else my life would careen off track? That's the best part of having your brain wired for addiction. It allows you to get places far beyond your potential, both the places that can help you as well as those that can harm you. My groundedness, while coming from many things, is an extension of the rules that I've placed around myself in regards to the world that surrounds me. I, like everyone else, have causes that believe to be paramount in the world today. My younger sister has severe autism. I come from a part of America whose middle and working classes are being hollowed out like a jack-o'-lantern. People of faith and traditional values are being persecuted in subtle ways left and right, or not so subtle ways left and right, from the dating market to free speech laws. All of these, in silence, outrage me. But out in the world, where a real change can and must happen, I've kept my composure, at least for the most part. I've done my job, doing what I can with, the talents I with my talents to advocate for those who I believe have lost the most. The best way that one can do this is to, honest, is to do it honestly, to come at it from a place of honesty. Any positioning of the self above the cause is automatically a red flag for those who care far more about themselves than for the people they claim to want to help. 
The following checklist is the one that I deem necessary for all who are serious about the political and social, and taking those into the correct hands. As we go into the era where there will be less voluminous but more intense polarization of our culture, I believe that, if this list is taken seriously, we can actually, and hopefully, get somewhere very positive. But like many of the things I've written, that could be proven to be very far off course. In either case, enjoy a rare glimpse of Sam Lacrosse-style optimism. Number one, you have at least five things that you deem more important than yourself and the cause. The most liberating thing that you can do and be as a person is someone who thinks of themselves as unimportant. You do this primarily for two reasons. First, you do it because you know that it's true. In the grand scheme of things, you are not very important. Not many people will remember you, far fewer will care what you did, and even less will say you had an impact in their, in their life. This is both a good thing and a bad thing, and more of either depending on how well you arrange your life. Second, you do so because you know that by doing so, you will become less happier. From a Christian lens, for example, a good definition for things that are satanic would be things that God didn't make. God didn't ordain anything that happens in the world after the fall of man, when the divine order was interrupted. It would be one thing if our culture would be obsessed with responsible stewardship of land, respecting institutions of hierarchy and marriage, and surrounding ourselves with nature. It's a whole other when we have taken the things that weren't of this world, the sinful things, and have instituted an order to subvert the things that are natural and good. In following this definition, all sin is done to glorify the self rather than to glorify what is higher than the self. You don't have to be a religious person to understand the conundrum that we face when this happens. All bad things result at some level from a feeling of selfishness, that you are the center of the universe, that what happens to you must become the paramount thing that drives the world forward. This is extended further to the things that we do to express ourselves. Our, quote, identities, a core word to our sense of humanity that has now been pimped out to mean next to nothing, are not only confined to the roles that we use to inhabit as a person. Now, our identities are subjective, what we say about ourselves. Identity has gone from a negotiation, what it always has been, to a self-defined tangling of narcissism and subjectivity. There is no greater expression of this than the modern, quote, activist, someone who has internalized a cause so deeply within themselves that it has become a part of themselves. They no longer see themselves as separate from what they admire. They are all of that and more. They are li the living embodiment of René Descartes, who appointed, app appropriated the term from God himself. I think, therefore I am. It's all a facade, a mirage, a projection. Therefore, people have neglected to put anything above themselves because it stands today that the self is the highest virtue that one can pursue. If you can only self-actualize, if you fulfill every miserable desire about who you are as a human, can you be counted on as one of the enlightened in our culture? Anything that is not automatically gratified, and you have an opt and you have an out, you've been rep repressed, victimized by anyone who would dare not affirm every aspect of your being, then only you have to believe it's true. This has caused our culture to descend into madness, specifically towards those who are activist-minded. They care not about the cause. They care only about the extension of the self, their projection of identity that they only have a claim to be true. This has caused the things that these people supposedly act on behalf of to deteriorate into husks of what they formerly were. Therefore, the number one priority of the true activist must be this. The cause has to be much more important than you if you actually care about it at all. To front a cause, you cannot put yourself in front of the cause. Narcissism has no place when something is truly important to you. You have little to no wiggle room. If you're not careful, you'll end up crowding out the very thing that you supposedly want to help. 
We will visit more on how to do this later, but for now, I would advise you to take the cause completely out of the picture. Think of the other things in your life that you truly have a passion for. A business you own, a family you're supposed to lead, a local community that you're supposed to serve. These things remind you that, at the end of the day, your smallness is the only thing that ties all of them together. The enormity of all those elements of your life is only commonality is the only commonality rather that reminds you of just how much they matter to you and how little you matter to it. Contrary to what the culture will tell you, this is a good thing. The world would do better with a little less of you in it. This is not to say that you don't have a right to exist, to act in the world, and to make yourself known as if all those things are done in a virtuous manner. However, when that virtue descends into a realm of self-virtue, that is automatically a cause for concern. To be active in the world, it is necessary both for your health and the health of those around you that you put many things above yourself in your hierarchy of necessity. To do this, you must reduce your own influence in your own life while simultaneously elevating the influence of things in your life that consume your individualism. We were designed for community and meant for a higher purpose. Both of those things are more intertwined than all of us have been led to believe. Life is not about fulfilling your calling at the expense of other people. It is fulfilling your calling to serve other people. And due to my love of short lists, once again, I think a solid number to achieve this level of self-submission and to make yourself happier is five things that fit this billing. For the people that do this effectively, this looks something like this. A meaningful career, a marriage, some type of local community, some type of religious community, and children. These have constantly been proven to be the most reliable metrics when making this venture to organize your life in a way that best shed, sheds narcissism. Even though many of these things have turned out to be malleable, and some for good reason, it is still the best formula to follow in abstract. Add more, subtract more, whatever, but the song remains the same. Less you is a good thing. More everything else, and everyone else, is an even better thing. Number two. You have a responsibility to things that are outside of your own happiness. There are a lot of things that tie this check to the previous one, but the one prior has to come first for a reason. In order to advocate for something, you must first begin with a sense that that thing is, in a sense, more important than you. You cannot put yourself in, fr as the fr in front of or as the face of a cause because you are not that cause. No matter how much you deem the cause and you to be intertwined, the fact remains that, at the end of the day, you still aren't. You are an autonomous person, and the cause you support is the cause you support. There cannot be any intermingling between the two. It is a great first step to have these things in your mind that are more important than you. That begins the ball rolling as to what you can, or you, what you both can and cannot successfully advocate for within the culture. If something is bigger than you, you can begin the movement underneath to support that thing and, hopefully, guide it to a conclusion that is optimal for everyone to take advantage of. But that is not enough. The reason why that is not enough is because when you look at the culture, people do this all the time with everything. We always have something that is, quote, important come up, a new political candidate, a flashy TikTok trend, whatever. Importance, when you really look at it, is all about perception. This is one of the more fascinating parts about being human. We all have competing priorities and limited resources about how to achieve those priorities. So the question must be asked, what separates those who actually achieve those things from those that do not? The factors that divide these two groups of people are multifaceted. There is plenty of room to dig into the weeds with all of them. For our sake, and for yours, we will not. Particularly when it comes to advocating on behalf of a cause, there is so much nuance needed to even begin. Instead, what we will do is look at the basics, the bare bones of what activism actually is. The fundamental principle, when broken down, stands to be something like this. It is not enough to deem something important. You must act as if that something is actually important 
important. In other words, responsibility must be taken for the things that you care about, the things that are most important to you. It is the greatest indicator of value. You don't care for the things if you don't in some way feel an inherent tug of responsibility when you, you know that they need tended to. Parents don't abandon their children if they truly care for them. Entrepreneurs don't abandon their companies when their sales numbers dip by two consecutive quarters if they care about their employees. Politicians don't reside in mansions in Washington, D.C. if they truly want to serve the citizens of a community that is thousands of miles away. In terms of activism, this means one simple thing. Saying that you support the thing is not enough. Dyeing your hair a certain color is not enough. Complaining on Facebook about things like the Federal Reserve and the Electoral College and transgender bathrooms is not enough. None of it is, because words are not actionable. They are things you scream into the void, soon to be drowned out by others of its same type and variety. Instead, you must place the burden for whatever caused you to support, cause you support directly on your shoulders. You are responsible. It is your fault. That way, you will learn to adopt how hard and how rewarding activism is when truly done right. The greatest activists of our time always took on more than they could chew. They always took the bullets that no one else wanted to take. They always were the ones who were the first in the fray. They would not have done so if they didn't believe it was their responsibility to do so. And this is what you must be willing to do if you are willing to be a true activist. You must get your hands dirty. There's no way around it if you want to make a change. Because change is tough. Change is slow. Change comes at a cost. There is a reason why the people who have actually committed themselves to real change and have been successful at it are so few in number. Most want all the hype, all the pomp and circumstance, but none of the hustle that comes along with doing the tough work that goes along with the glamour afterwards. It is also critical to realize that when you take on the role of an activist, you will not be happy all the time when you do the work that comes with being an activist. Being an activist, a lot of the time, is brutal and depressing work. You're constantly exposed to the overall depravity of the human condition, the bleak desolation of what happens when true victimization occurs and is applied at mass scale. This is as true with anyone who wants to make a change and watches that the change does not occur. But the true activists can largely ignore this because it's their responsibility to ignore it. They cannot afford to care about their own happiness when they're responsible for the happiness of other people along the way. Responsibility is the gateway for the, from the activist and the slacktivist, the differentiator that truly will affect change in a positive way. In a world that is exiting, thankfully, slacktivists in favor of louder activists, this is the primary thing that will be used to benchmark everyone against the curve going forward. When you create responsibility within yourself towards other people, you automatically create a lane in which you can make change at a more expedient rate than people who don't. When you pledge yourself to actually doing the work, to getting in the trenches, to appropriating responsibility on top of yourself, and by shouldering a burden that can genuinely help others, you can then officially call yourself an activist. The key word within the word is act, which is what you must do if you were to do anything worth doing at all. If you were to make any change in a world that is lacking both in severity and seriousness when it comes to both. Number three, you realize that this cause will never save nor not save the world. This is perhaps the most crucial piece of any part of activism and the toughest to get through anyone's head. Everyone feels that when they take up the mantle of a certain cause that they will be the ones to start the chain reaction, that they will be the ones to deliver their group to Valhalla, that they will be the ones who finally crested the great Martin Luther King's mountaintop, bringing promise and provision upon all the land. This is natural to feel this way, and noble to an extent. Everyone wants to be a part of something, to show that they are on the right side of history and can make something that is wrong with the world right again for a group of people that has been made so wrong. It is a part of all of us that, 
When these things happen, we want to see all of them slowly but surely be made whole once again, to be shown that you will be the one to move this thing that you care so deeply for as forward as you can. But you can't. No one person can go out and save people. Not one. This is the narcissism of the modern activist movement in a different format. Many activists believe that if it were only for them, the cause they love so they so love would be able to crest the top of the wave. They believe that it is they who are the missing piece. And this is false. The cause is not about you. It is about the cause. But you also can't not. No one person can tank a movement either. Whether it's Donald Trump or BLM, no one person, no matter who they are and where they come from, can pump the brakes on a cause that people can still rally behind. There will always be another person. There will always be another opportunity for someone to gain time in the sun. And when that time happens, particularly in our culture, there will always be a demand of someone to fill that gap. But either way, this conundrum will always fail the person in the end. Change, and activism by extension, is not about a final result. It is about moving a little bit closer to that final result. Things are always changing. Nothing is ever finished. There are few things that ever really make a difference in the endgame because there is nothing that is ever static. The best you can do is internalize, localize, and mobilize what you can with whatever level of impact you have to spare. And in doing this realization, you will come to a terrifying conclusion. What you're doing and whatever cause you're supporting will most likely not move the needle when all is said and done. Most likely, it will stay the same as it always has been. God willing, it will be a little bit further moved in the direction that you want it to. That's usually the best we can hope for in a situation such as this. Activism is meant to activate something, to push something uphill a little further than what it once was. And more often than not, that will end up being true. Which leads us to the second tough pill to swallow, one that most activists in the modern day can't fathom to accept. Which is that the world will go on either way. It is my belief that this is why, at least partially, people have devolved into a complete insanity at some of the activist movements going on in the world today. The reason why people are gluing themselves to famous art, lying in front of diesel engines, and yelling into the faces of local city council members is not strictly to just advocate on behalf of something, even though this is, as we now know, not activism at all. Instead, I can't help but wonder if they know deep down that what they're doing is, indeed, foolish and frivolous. I believe that some part of them is telling them that they know what, the, what they're doing is not working. I believe that some part of them is telling them that they need to choose a different path, other than the one chosen by slacktivists and moralists. And, more importantly to all of this point, I believe that some part of them is telling them, no matter what path they choose to walk down, their impact they made will still be relatively anonymous, and that the cause they support will still continue to go on after they went. This is the fork in the road that all people wanting to do true activism must face. They must come to a point where the rubber meets the road, where all the talk has to be converted to action. Unfortunately, when it hits, most people will fold and devolve into the insanity that we're currently seeing in large pockets across the world. Action is tough. Responsibility is tough. Both of them are scary, which is why you see so many people not doing what needs to be done to further the causes that they supposedly want to be furthered. It's the inherent futility of activism that makes it so frustrating and so rewarding. The climb to the top of the mountain is so steep that it takes a very rare person to actually take on the burden of changing something. More than likely, the work that you do, whether it's running a substack or a social movement, will not change anything about the cause. It will still just be you, the man in the arena, fighting an invisible battle that not many other people will be able to see nor understand. It is those who are okay with this, rather than those who would fight against it, that will be the ones who will stand above the rest as victorious.
The obscurity of activism is what makes the people that push forward with true activism so noble. They never know where this train will end, even if they like to, would like to claim as such. The truth is that no one does. No one knows until the end if what they're doing really will matter or not. No one will be able to tell successfully if the work and the effort and the strain that they put into something that matters to them will ever be remembered throughout the ages. The legacy of their work is amorphous, ever-shifting, not settled on any one proposition or the next. It's a game of chance, one that very few people are willing to play. Number four. You understand the people you support are there to serve you, not the other way around. This is perhaps the most tragic mistake a person could make when they begin their journey towards becoming a certain type of activist. When anyone is starting out in anything, there are automatically people in the game that have been in longer than you, that have been brave enough, hopefully, to walk down the yellow brick road in honorable fashion. This, by design, makes these people the pioneers, the role models for everyone else to follow as they attempt to do the same thing. In any scenario with role models involved, a certain amount of deference and respect must be given. One thing that our culture has done is severely lacking is a disturbing dearth of respect for those who have come before us. We treat our current elders like garbage and our ancestors without a shred of sympathy whatsoever. We have foolishly bought into the narrative that we are automatically better than those who came before us for the strict purpose that we have been in the context of the days past. What we have given, if we are in this position, has not yet to be posited by the people that have made this claim. However, one of the truly honorable things about the modern activist space is that the people who have pioneered the field are still looked up to with reverence. Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, Bobby Kennedy, and others are still titans in the space of civil rights, for example. Even the most extreme and perverse forms that have corrupted the legacy of these types of people, such as Ibram X. Kendi and Robin D'Angelo, are fraudulently held to the same level of reverence. This is something that activists are very good at, which is no small thing. The important thing one can have, particularly an ambitious person, is someone to help show you the way. Whether it is someone in your workspace or someone you follow on Instagram, having these beacons towards the light you wish to bask in is very important. We all need them, regardless of what domain we and they occupy. Without role models, without people to look up to, we have nothing to judge ourselves and our corresponding talents and abilities by. In a culture where this is already happening too much, we cannot afford to take any more of it in. Therefore, role models in our society deserve to be commended if their actions are virtuous. We need to do a much better job at culturally highlighting these people that are fulfilling roles well to serve an example to others. This can be succeeding as an entrepreneur, being a good mother, or being someone who leads a small group at your local synagogue. As mentioned earlier, whenever this, there is a role, there is an attached responsibility to that role. Should someone shoulder that responsibility properly, they deserve to be held up as someone we should try to emulate. On one condition. It is the ending of the first sentence in the prior paragraph that contains the key. We should only hold someone up as a role model if their actions and the way that they live their life is in a virtuous manner. We cannot afford to poison the minds of society, particularly the young and impressionable, with people who only want to monetize them by getting clicks, likes, or subscriptions to garbage advice and content. The best people we look up to in society and correct them, and the best thing we can do to the people we look up to in society is correct them when they falter. They would most likely want the same to be done in the inverse, which makes this an obligation, not a nicety. And this contains a key point to drive home. The people in all positions of leadership, but especially those in activist leadership, have a purpose, to serve you not the other way around. You are committing to an act of service when you want to advocate on behalf of a certain cause. However, the leaders, as with all their followers, cannot afford to make it about themselves. If they do so, 
This will cause the cause itself to be ripped apart by idolatry and narcissism. Whenever the self takes priority over the community in a tyrannical way, the community itself begins to devolve from a harmonious religious structure into a dictatorial cultish structure. This means that whenever you take up the position of leadership, you must sacrifice your individualistic desires in favor of the broader cause and culture. It's not about you anymore, because you are now the representative of the thing itself that everyone derives value from. This is, unfortunately, most true when it comes to our leadership class in the political arena. Political leadership has recently reached a fever pitch to their cults of personality as they currently hold themselves above, above themselves. If Donald Trump were the first insight into how bad this is becoming, people like AOC were quick to learn from the playbook to become social media celebrities instead of civil servants who were designed to serve a constituency. Even worse were the people within these classes that do not represent the people that were unelected in this process. Perhaps the most stark example of this is Ron Klain, President Biden's former chief of staff, who had the gall to go on television before last year's midterm elections and give the electorate, quote, one final warning to make the right decision, i.e. re-electing the people that President Biden liked, by putting liberal politicians in office. One final warning before what, exactly? People like Ron Klain do not get to make that decision, nor should anyone in an unelected office, or an elected office for that matter. They serve us, not the other way around. They are completely at our mercy which is how it should be. The people in positions of leadership in our society have one obligation, to serve you. The wisest thing I believe that one can do with this knowledge is to honor it with rigorous and intense accountability. Hold your leaders, particularly ones whose job it is to quite literally advocate for you, to advocate for you. If they don't, remind them gracefully but intensely. If they begin to power trip and ignore their constituents, all while not listening to their constituents nor reason, do everything in your power to remove them. No one in a position of leadership was meant, by design, to be worshipped. If more people begin to remember that, I have a feeling that leadership in all spheres of life will begin to look a lot better. Number five, you can laugh at the madness from afar, including at the people you like. When I was growing up in my Cleveland suburb, we were fortunate enough to have a bevy of awesome substitute teachers. These folks, mostly volunteer, would light up a classroom not just the job of having to not do schoolwork, although that was certainly a factor, but on the fact that they were, overall, mostly wonderful people. The most beloved in my district was a man by the name of Jim Strang, a former newsman with who possessed an incalculable amount of knowledge surrounding history and literature, with a beard that stretched to the middle of his stomach for greater effect, he was beloved by every single student in every single age bracket. He was the person you hoped for when you stumbled into class not wanting your English teacher to drone on about adjectives. He always delivered, every time. In my senior year, we had to take a mandatory government class in order to graduate high school and move on to college. The man who taught it was an egotistical and narcissistic AP teacher who was one of the representatives for our local teachers union in town. I fucked that up, I'm sorry. Local teachers union in town. As you might think, he did not hold himself to any standard of teaching, particularly for his students who were depending on him for college credit. I refused to take one of his AP classes out of spite, even though he liked me personally. I knew it wouldn't I wouldn't pass, so I didn't think I'd waste the time. This man also taught a couple of courses for our government class, and I was selected to be in one of those said classes. After an initial period of moaning and groaning, I settled in. Throughout the semester, he was hostile towards any beliefs that contradicted his surrounding government and politics, including mine. Even though the class wasn't political in nature, he always had one additional barb to throw in, an additional point he had to make to create one more bit of faux credibility for himself. 
As his ability to give a fuck waned, the students in both of the sections of his classes slowly began to turn on him. He frequently started over in the middle of semesters and school years, resetting everything back to zero to all of his students who could not afford to waste the time to get mandatory college credit. Parents started to complain too. Formalities were filed. The heat finally began to get turned up. And eventually it exploded. One morning, in the middle of the semester, all the students walked into the classroom and saw one of our principals sitting in our teacher's chair. She informed us that due to, quote, unforeseen circumstances, that our teacher had decided to stop teaching in the middle of the semester. He, instead, chose to go to Vietnam to travel. That made us loathe him even more. But to offset our period of loathing, our principal announced that the only person that was qualified enough to teach the remainder of the semester while hopefully getting us all to pass would be none other than Mr. Strang. We were all thrilled. Our joy wasn't an occasional one anymore. We would get more and more Jim Strang every day we stepped into the halls. His wealth of knowledge, something we had been lacking immensely from our old teacher, would fill us up just as we needed it. The joy was unprecedented. Perhaps even more remarkably, that joy translated into results. The students, actually enjoying who was delivering them on the subject material, were more participatory. Their test scores improved. More people passed the AP exam. A good number of people did well in the government exam, even though, to be fair, we may have had a dilution of the quality of questions due to the sudden departure of our old teacher. All in all, this could not have been a better ending to what had started out as a hopeless situation just months earlier. But like all things that surrounded Mr. Strang, it was the non-school-related advice that always stuck with us most fervently. When I started with him, I was curious to see how Mr. Strang's advice would relate to the government. I didn't know his politics, and I still don't. He could be all over the map for what I care. However, there was one thing that could be applied to any affiliation of political stance or activist group that we all can learn from. If you can't laugh at the madness, you can't be a good citizen. Of all the advice on activism I've ever heard, this is the one that sticks with me the most. The use of humor in ridiculous situations towards mostly ridiculous people is one of the best things you can do to arm yourself against the terror that these communities can sometimes unleash on the world. If you cannot laugh at something, that something is usually too big for its britches. It thinks too much of itself, which is never a good thing with anything, particularly if that thing is in a position of influence and power. Mockery of power is the key to a flourishing society, especially amongst the people you like. When you look at all your blind spots in life, a good way to root them out quickly would be to see which subjects you feel cannot be joked about. When you feel that something is a sacred cow, that it needs to be idolized so much that you cannot remotely harm it, that should be a red flag that you hold something in way too high of a regard. Activism is a serious thing, and it should be taken as such. However, when anything gets hijacked and taken over by lunatics, that thing deserves to be lampooned and put back into its set of constraints. We do it, rightfully, with every other element of our society when they go off the reservation. We should continue to do it with activism not only for the sake of our sanity, but for the sake of activism itself. We're all just a little bit ridiculous. If we allow ourselves to be, that is. We'll end it there. New guest next week. On the day. Open your mind. Thanks for listening, guys. Stopping, hopping like a rabbit When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it I lay back in the cut, retain myself Think about the shit and I think it well How can I make some grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?